Hello, and welcome to Montgomery Talks. We're the podcast of Montgomery County Issues, and we're coming to you from our podcast studios in Rockville. I'm Doug Tallman, senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media. With me today is Detective Sergeant David Papalia, police officer for about 19 years. Sergeant Papalia supervises the Vice and Intelligence Unit for Montgomery County Police. And today we're here asking him to come in to discuss human trafficking in Montgomery County. First off, could you define the difference between human trafficking and prostitution? Human trafficking is actually transporting a person for the purposes of prostitution, so the actual vehicle. Um, human trafficking is defined in several different ways. It's actually bringing a person to a place for the purposes of prostitution or facilitating a location such as renting a, a location to have for the purposes of prostitution. There are different ways to look at it. But generally speaking, it's what we used to call in the 70s a pimp, is what human trafficking is, is transporting a person for the purposes of prostitution. Prostitution is the actual sex act for money. So how big a problem is it, is human trafficking in Montgomery County? Over the last couple of years, I would say we've been inundated with human trafficking cases. It's slowed down just a bit this past year because of the enhanced enforcement that we've done, but I would definitely say that we're not short of work. Inundated? Yes. That seems like a pretty strong word for something that seems out of place for quiet suburban Montgomery County. It would, but Montgomery County is the perfect place for prostitution. We're close to three major airports. We have a tremendous amount of disposable income in this county. We have numerous hotels. Last count, we're 47, some of which are very inexpensive. Thus, the profit margin is there for these pimps and prostitutes. It's the, per it's the perfect storm in the sense that you can go from Potomac to a less expensive hotel in Rockville, uh, meet somebody, and then go right back to your business as opposed to traveling to Baltimore or to D.C. And the, the main draw for traffickers in this county in particular is the amount of disposable, disposable income that we have. So it's very profitable. Oh, so what are the signs of trafficking or in a prostitution operation? They're very similar to drug operations in the sense that the majority of what we see in this county, I can just speak to this county, are based out of hotels. Typically what you'll see is if they're being trafficked, they'll, they're generally speaking, they'll have two hotel rooms. One is where the pimp or the trafficker is staying, and the other one is where the prostitute may be doing their business. And it's very similar to what, what you would think of as a narcotics house, where there's short stays, numerous stays of, of people going in and out of a hotel room, anywhere between 30 minutes to, to an hour. Those gentlemen will generally park further away from the, the hotel room. They appear not to really know where they're going. A sign that they generally don't belong in, in that area is they'll be checking all the numbers on the hotel rooms to make sure they got the right one. A very common sign for hotel rooms is when they approach the door, instead of knocking, the door already be propped open. And the reason being, and this is typical with apartments that are being used for trafficking as well, when you knock on doors, that attracts the attention of the neighbors. So what the prostitute will generally do is just leave it propped open so there isn't a sound. So if anybody's in a room next door, they won't hear anything. But the biggest telltale sign, like I said, is just a lot of traffic in and out of a room, generally 30 minutes to an hour in duration. Um, so, say a resident sees something like this, what should they do? Should they dial 911? Should they dial 311? What? It depends on what they're seeing. Do they think that somebody's in danger? Then I would certainly say contact 911. If they feel it's a, an issue that may be better addressed through an, invest, an investigation as, instead of a patrol response, then they could certainly call 311 and get directed to the vice unit. Mm -hmm. Do you have any stats on um, like how many people have been arrested in, in, in human trafficking in the county? Yes, I do. For, um, for the last two years, in, in 2017, we had 18 total trafficking cases. And that means actually 18 separate cases. That doesn't mean 18 individuals. And during that year, and the one thing I want to stand, uh, point out with regard to trafficking cases, most of them are very long in duration. They, we have to generally spend a lot of time with surveillance, search warrants, uh, interviews, things of that nature. And they take a, a, generally take a lot of time to build up. And the, the issue with a lot of these cases is that the victims very rarely will testify against the traffickers, which makes our 
our job very difficult. So what we have to do is build a circumstantial case against those traffickers through our observations, through documents, through bank records, through search warrants on phones, through search warrants on buildings, apartments, and things like that. And that generally takes a, a very lengthy period of time to build those strong circumstantial cases. With that said, in, in 2017, I have them for 2017 and 2018, we had 18 total trafficking cases. During the course of those, we charged 14 prostitutes, 25 Johns, or solicitors of prostitution, and 22 traffickers were actually charged. So we had 22 separate people that were charged with human trafficking in 2017. It was a very, very busy year for us. And, and like I said, if in the 12-month period, that's not including just the prostitution cases we have where there isn't a trafficker tied to that woman. These are, these are the trafficking cases which are very lengthy and take an extremely great, great deal of effort for us to put together because of the difficulties we have in prosecution. And how many convictions did you get? I don't have the, the conviction rate, but I can tell you that it's very high. Okay. Very high. I'd, I'd say I'm a person that, that has very high expectations, and I've been very pleased with the convictions that we've gotten for, for human trafficking. There are two different types of trafficking in, this, in the state. One is a felony, one's a misdemeanor. When you have force, fraud, or coercion, that's a felony in the state of Maryland, and we've been very successful, and that's a very difficult charge to make for the reasons I enumerated a minute ago, because the victims generally don't cooperate. But in 2017, through the state's attorney's office, as well as 2018, we had a couple of cases where we, one gentleman got 55 years, for a, which is a, a very egregious case. Another person got 10 years for on the felonies. So we're very successful in our types of prosecutions, as well as the convictions that we get for human trafficking, both misdemeanor and felony level. There were news reports over the weekend about a particular case in which two men were brought before they, they had been charged. One was able to bound out for about $800. The other one, I think, was bonded out for just on personal risk cognizance, which seems kind of unusual. Do you have this kind of problem with a lot of your cases, or was this just un unusual for this one? It wasn't a case that we worked, and I can tell you uh, with regard to the bonds, obviously the final discretion is twofold. It comes from the court commissioner when they're first brought into the jail, and then if they're held, they go to it before a judge the next day. With our cases, Generally speaking, we, will, we have contact up with, in the state's attorney's office, which we have a great relationship with, mm -hmm. to alert them, to let them know, or make them aware of, hey, we have this gentleman that just got arrested. For X, Y, and Z reasons, we would really want you to make a statement as to why this person should not be released. A, they're a, a violent felon, mm -hmm. they're a flight risk, things of that nature. So to speak as to why they were released, I don't know. It wasn't a case that we did. But generally speaking, with our trafficking cases, once they're arrested, we will make contact with the state's attorney's office with a recommendation or a request, you know, because the, the state's mm -hmm. attorney does sit at the bond reviews the following day. Okay. There's some talk about how uh, various uh, gangs are involved with prostitution and human trafficking. Can you speak to that? I've been, to, I've been supervising the vice unit since November of 2015, and our unit, which is the primary investigative unit for trafficking, has not investigated any human trafficking cases with a direct ne nexus to human trafficking. That's not to say they don't exist. Our gang unit has had one or two, I believe, and some of the local district units may have done some stuff where there was a nexus to gang, gang trafficking, but we have not worked any cases directly where we can say definitively there was a tie to it. It's just not to say it's not there. It just hasn't come to our attention. Right. The cases you've seen are, is it fair to call them homegrown? No. They, w w how would you describe them? The vast majority of our traffickers are from out of state, from California. Uh, New York is a huge hub for trafficking down here. We do have, I, if, I couldn't put a percentage on it, but I'd be more shocked if I came across a trafficker that was from Gaithersburg, as opposed to somebody that was from California, from Nevada, mm -hmm. from North Carolina, from Massachusetts coming down here. They come from everywhere.
Who do you claim? Who are the victims in this, these kinds of crimes? I mean, obviously the women, are, are they local or are they also from out of state? The vast majority of them are from California and New York. From time to time, we do get some. We do get a local female or that's a, a prostitute or a trafficking victim. The vast majority of them are coming from out of state, the West Coast and up in the Northeast Corridor. Okay. And you say that they rarely testify against um, their, 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 their traffickers. So what happens to them after? I mean, it seems as though, are, are they trying to protect their security by saying, look, if I testify, if I don't testify against this guy, he'll be some way, he'll be protected and maybe I'll be protected. Or are they just thinking about their next job or are they thinking about, or are they just mindless? I think that, I think it's a combination of all those things. Some of them are, are conditioned, mentally conditioned and abused by these, these people. Some, some of it's egregious. Some, uh, some of it's more of not necessarily of violence. They're, they're intimidated with violence, but it's more of a mental conditioning, so to speak. Some of them are concerned about their next job. They've been in the life. They, they don't want to get out of it, believe it or not. And other ones are actually just don't want to cooperate with us. You, you have a, a myriad of reasons why they won't cooperate. I think you hit on all of them and that we, mm-hmm. see, we see all of them. And we approach every single trafficking case with the belief that, that they're not going to testify. And v- rarely, uh, there's a handful of cases that we've had that are trafficking, that have been prosecuted in the circuit court for trafficking that the prostitutes or the victims have actually testified on, on, you know, on our behalf. Is there anything you can say that, that connects those, those women? Is there anything that, that, that makes them different than, say, the other women? They, I've actually been surprised by the ones that have testified, so I can't really say I, I see why they did, B- because our initial contact with them was in some ways hostile. They weren't friendly to, to law enforcement. We didn't get the initial sense that they wanted to cooperate with us, but through the efforts of the state's attorney's office, they decided that they wanted to help themselves out. I'm more surprised when I get a trafficking victim or a prostitute that wants to testify against their trafficker than not. That's why our cases are so lengthy, especially the ones that with the more dangerous felons and more extensive conspiracies are so lengthy. We worked a case last year on Hungerford Drive that was a massage parlor case that took us over seven months from the start to finish because we knew we had to build a circumstantial case because more than likely none of the Asian trafficking victims that we were seeing over the course of the investigation were going to testify against their traffickers. And that took an extensive period of time because, and we were right, I think we may have had one or two that actually spoke to us and gave us something that was helpful. But the, the the bulk of the case is made up from observations and search warrants and things of that nature. John statements. I wonder what's missing in these women's lives that this is something that they'd want to either protect or go back to. Because there are services for these women, correct? Once in they get- this county, to, to answer the first part of your question, most of the time I'll talk to them just, just to get a little bit of background on them, just to get an idea of how would you wind up here. Some of them have fairly interesting and tragic stories, but the vast majority of them that I've come in contact with come from broken homes. There may be a drug or alcohol problem. They've, been, they've experienced numerous abusive relationships over the course of their lives. But if I had to point to one thing that I've seen, just me specifically, not everybody in the national capital region, it's just coming from broken homes. Most of them had their parents died, from what they tell us, or they were abusive parents, or there were other issues within the home, Mm -hmm. and they got off to a bad start. And the next thing you know, got with the wrong crowd, as we like to say, and then they met this person who some of them explain they feel safe with, says they're going to take care of them before they know it, they're in this life, and they don't know how to get out of it, and they have no other resources, no other family support to try and pull themselves back, and it's just an endless cycle. Mm, And there are services for these women if they do choose to get out. 
In this county, we work very closely with uh, the Human Trafficking Task Force within the county, Jody Finkelstein, and we meet all the time. And we, they were actually nice enough to put together a card, a little this little card that I brought here today. And it's in several different languages, English, Spanish, Korean, and Chinese. And what we decided to do, with, with once they provide us with the card, every single female victim, even male victims if we have them, we'll give them the card and see if they want to, if they want services. Vast majority of them, I don't think anybody with the exception of maybe one has actually gone to the crisis center. We referred one to Fair Girls, which is another organization that helps out, provides beds, but very few of them actually take the services, if any, but the ones that we've seen. It's heartbreaking. It's it's a, it's a very it's an uphill climb to say the least. But the county has a lot of services they're willing to provide. The National Capital Region has many organizations that are willing to help these women. And when I meet with the, these organization heads or associates of those organizations, I tell them that that the women just don't want the services. We gave out three or four or five cards in the last three weeks. They're just not interested. Maybe they come around down the road, but that we don't see. But it's very rare. It's a very rare occurrence that somebody a woman will come to us and say, "Hey, I, I want to go." Okay, at that point, I think it's time we take a quick break. Uh, We've been talking with Detective Sergeant David Papalia about human trafficking in Montgomery County. I'm Doug Tolman, senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media, and we'll be right back. MCM, your community media center, is making Montgomery County a great place to live through programs like 21 This Week. Montgomery County's hardest-hitting political talk show keeps you up to date with the local political scene. Montgomery Community Media. Our middle name is Community. we're back. I'm Doug Tallman, senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media, and I'm speaking with Detective Sergeant David Papalia of the Vice and Intelligence Unit at Montgomery County Police, talking about human trafficking in Montgomery County. We talked a lot about 2017 stats, but we didn't hit on 2018. So let's start there. What are the stats so far from just last year? 2018, the first part of 2018, we spent the first six months investigating one case on Hungerford Drive in Rockville. And as a result of that case, which took over seven months to investigate and successfully come to a conclusion, our stats were a little bit lower, but we worked six total trafficking cases that year. Uh, 14 individuals were charged with human trafficking charges. 51 individuals were charged with prostitution-related charges, which we call No No Street or Johns. That one case that I spoke about was the biggest trafficking case we've ever worked in this county by far. It involved almost 90 search warrants on bank accounts, businesses, computers, hotels, phones, and we seized over half a million dollars in that case in U.S. currency as well as uh, several vehicles. It just, that case in particular just points to the scope of the problem that exists in the national capital region and the amount of money that is generated from human trafficking. That case was based out of several Asian spas in in the Rockville area. And what we saw in that case, which is indicative of, of Asian spas, is numerous women would be cycled through these spas over the course of several months. And some would be housed in the county at various apartments and brought to these locations and then cycled back into other spas throughout the area outside the county. But another thing we saw in this case in particular was that they were actually living in these businesses at night. So at the close of business every night, these women would actually be sleeping in there at that spa as well as one over in Durwood that was connected to the case. And probably the most disturbing thing about that case was the living conditions on Hungerford Drive that they were living in. But on one occasion when we were watching that, one of the spas there, the women got up in the morning and they were brushing their teeth outside on Rockville Pike and throwing the bathwater out on the street. So some of the conditions that they're living in are completely unacceptable. And fortunately, we were able to bring that case to a successful conclusion. 
but the scope of that case was extremely large and very involved, and it took up a lot of time last year. Mm. And I, I, I would make note that that is one of the reasons our stats were down last year, but another reason I think is because we're actually making a, making a difference, and, and the word is out that Montgomery County is, is, is aggressively investigating these cases and successfully prosecuting them. And as a result of that, we know from our social media monitoring that they're telling people to stay away from, from here because you know we've made so many arrests of so many different people, so many different locations that once you, once you start to put salt in the wound you know, and it gets irritated, it goes elsewhere. And that's what's happened somewhat. They're still here. We're still very busy, but not like we were in 2017 and 2018 because of our enhanced enforcement efforts, which I think have been very successful. But as soon as we take a break, it'll come right back. It'll right. get even worse. You mentioned before uh, demand reduction. Can you right. describe that program? Sure. When I started, when I came to the vice unit in November of 2015, I noticed that only the prostitutes and the traffickers were getting charged. But the reason that the traffickers and the prostitutes or the victims were coming to the county is because of the extreme demand and the disposable income, like I discussed. And I didn't think it was equitable that the Johns, who were the reason that these folks were coming here, were walking away. So we worked very carefully or closely with the state's attorney's office and came up with a uh, came up with a plan where the first time a John would have to pay a $500 fine and do 40 hours of community service. And if they did both of those, their case would be dropped. The money that is generated from the fines that they pay goes to, is, is directed to one of several different women's organizations that helps trafficking victims, which I think is outstanding. But since we've been doing the demand reduction, we've locked up dozens, we've charged dozens and dozens of Johns, and we believe, based on our social media monitoring and other interviews and so on, that that has had an impact in reducing some of the trafficking in the county. Because like with drug trafficking, anytime you reduce the the, uh, the demand for a certain service, such as prostitution, or tra- uh, then the traffickers will go elsewhere to make their money. You mentioned before that you uh, collected a half million dollars on the Hungerford Drive case. Right. How much money have you collected since you've been there? I mean, it seems like a half million dollars for a single case, it ought to be quite a bit. That, that case was, the thing I have to stress about these cases, is like any complex conspiracies, they take a long time. Mm-hmm. And over the course of, the, of a lengthy investigation, you'll have time to identify bank accounts, sources of income, locations where they might be stashing currency or other, other valuables. So that case is, is what I would say, an, not an anomaly, but it's and it's not the it's not the norm the amount of money we seize but we do seize a quite a bit of money from trafficking i would say an estimate maybe 3 quarters of a million dollars over the last 3 years cumulatively from from different types of cases Okay. That's, that's just a, a guess. And where does that money go? Well, initially, it'll go into our, the county's escrow account. And then at a later date, once the criminal case is settled, it will, the, uh, the county attorney will file a civil forfeiture for that money. And we'll either be successful in that or we won't be successful in that. We'll have to give it back. And then it's, dis- it's distributed somewhere throughout the county government. Okay. okay. It's, it's not sent to the, the, the organizations you mentioned before. That's only the fine money. Well, there is a state fund which is uh, where trafficking funds that are seized has been set up to go to. But how that's how the money that we seize is directed, we'd have to, I'd have to ask this county attorneys at. Because once mm-hmm. we get to that level, they take care of it, and then the county has certain rules and regulations which are above the police department as to where that money goes. Okay, understood. Okay. Because you've had the decline from 2017 and 2018, and granted the 2018 case was so complex, you said you monitor so- social media and people are telling you stay away from Montgomery County. Is it fair to say that it's on the decline or is that there's not enough data to say that? I would definitely say it's not on the decline. It was well publicized last year that Backpage, that the federal government had taken out Backpage. And what that had done was it was very easy to monitor that website along with several others and find who was in the area and, so, and make contact 
and so on and so forth. With that coming down, it's kind of made our job a little bit more difficult. It's made it difficult actually for the traffickers to find mainstream websites where the Johns can just, you know, log on very quickly. And it's been a process to regenerate the business, so to speak. It's almost like hitting a major drug trafficker. You got to find a new source of supply. When Backpage went down, that's what, kind of what happened. It's there. It's continual. It's just, it's a cyclical thing. You know, we'll, we'll be really active for a while, then you'll be really slow for a while, like in any law enforcement, any field. It could be robbery, drugs, or anything. It's, it, it ebbs and flows. It's definitely not improving. There's too much money to be made. And to be honest with you, I was a narcotics investigator for almost 13 years. It's much more dangerous, not, not dangerous, but it's easier to be a human trafficker than a drug trafficker. Because if you get stopped by the police driving down Route 95 with a, a victim in your car or a prostitute, it's not nearly as nerve-wracking as getting stopped by a trooper and you have 10 kilos of cocaine in your car. It's just a person. So the level of paranoia, the level of concern by these criminals is a lot less because you could search a car and you're just going to find a person. You're not going to find drugs. So I think that it behooves some of these folks to, to transition. I think you've seen that because the stress is a, lot is a lot less. You're not dealing with a drug commodity. You're dealing with different clientele, Johns. You're not dealing with drug users or drug addicts. So it's, it's only going to become more appealing to criminals and the criminal element to, to become traffickers for a lot of reasons. And there's a lot of money to be made in it. Mm. Damn. I saw, also, also saw some news recently about how Marriott Corporation, Marriott International has uh, trained its staff to look for human trafficking. Is that the kind of thing that we need to see happen or is, I mean, what kind of effect is that going to have? I think it has a tremendous effect. I actually gave a presentation to Marriott early last year down in Bethesda and I thought it was really helpful. We're The reason, the main reason, the sole reason that we're so successful in this county in combating this problem is because of the cooperation we have from the 47 hotels that are here. Those corporations and they have different ones from all the way from Marriott all the way down to Motel 6 have been extremely helpful to us for whatever we need to try and combat this problem. And I think that maintaining that relationship, which we work very hard at. We've, we even have a, an email system set up where we can send out photos, bulletins such as this one we just sent out last week about what the signs to look for and we ask them to post it in their hotels. We can send something out within a minute and every single hotel in the county will have it. And that system has been successful in, in help helping us arrest murder suspects in the, that have been at hotels, all sorts of problems. And it's it's very, the, the, the community should be very happy to know that the, the hotel system within this county, the innkeepers have been very helpful to us. They're very cooperative. It's It's been an outstanding relationship that we've had. I can't, I can't even say enough about it, how much they've helped us out. And every single day we're out there, we had something last week where they helped us with a fugitive, traffickers. We get calls all the time from them saying, I think that there's something suspicious here. You might want to take a look at this because we can't be everywhere. We need the community's help and our community, generally speaking, are hotels and they've been terrific. So I think that getting them on board with the signs of, of prostitution and trafficking has been, has been extremely helpful to us. Mm. Yeah. It's good to hear. I think I'd like to close this out with my own little PSA. The National Human Trafficking Hotline is 1-888-373-7888, or you can text 233-733 and text HELP or INFO, and they'll send you information on human trafficking. There's also a website, humantraffickingonline.org. It's in several languages. I want to thank Detective Sergeant Papalia for coming in to talk with us. This has been Montgomery Talks. I'm Doug Tolman, senior reporter at Montgomery Community Media. Our engineers today were Mike Valentine and Carolyn Ruskowskis. See you next time.